Let's pray. Let's bow in prayer. Well, thank you for the name of Jesus and all that's wrapped up into that name. And I pray for the young ones today. As they go to friends of Jesus, may they know more and more about what it means to, to believe in that name and to believe in the one who, who embodies that name. Pray for them. Pray for their instructors today. Lord. May they have a great experience. Lord, as we remain here in the sanctuary, speak to us through your word, not through me, but through your word. May we interact with you and your Holy Spirit. We might be, leave this place excited about you, knowing more about you, the God who, who, who has loved us and saved us and called us to, to be your people. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bye-bye. Purple Friday. Good morning. Welcome to, to Faith. If you're, if you're here for the first time or a visitor, we, we thank you for choosing to, to worship here at Faith Christian Fellowship this morning. We are in a preaching series that we started last week on, on the hard teachings of Jesus, the hard teachings, the tough things, some of the things that Jesus said. And uh, at the end of this service, by the way, during this series, we're having just, if, if you have some questions or just clarification, after the service, about five minutes after the service, we'll, we'll take a few minutes to just hear your questions uh, for about 10 or 15 minutes, whoever's needed. So we're going to do that again. Um, but hard teachings, you know, there's various kinds of hard teachings. You know, some things are, are hard to understand. Last week, Pastor Craig kicked it off, talking about John chapter 6, where Jesus came to the people and said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my body, or you can't be part of me. And they said, what? Cannibalism? What are you talking about? And uh, they didn't get it. He was talking about faith, embracing him by faith. Many left. Many left him. They didn't get it. It was just hard to understand. Some things are hard to do. Later in chapter 5 of Matthew, he's going to say that we need to love our enemies. I understand what that's about, but that's hard to do, amen? <laughs> some things are hard to do, not hard to understand. And then there's some things that are hard to agree with, and that's what we're going today. Some things, as Jesus said, are just hard for us to embrace and agree with. Some people have difficulty. Like, for instance, later in the series, we'll have a, a, a passage on the last judgment, on, on judgment, the idea that there's, that there's consequences for, for and that some will go to eternal life and some will not. And that, that's hard for some people to embrace that truth. But our theme today is another thing that is hard for some people to embrace, and it's the scriptures. The scriptures. Uh, we're going to look at the Bible as the authoritative word of God. There was a day when that was not a hard teaching. When everyone, all of God's gathered people would embrace the truth that God has spoken to us through the Holy Bible, that what the Bible says is what God says. But we have to admit that now for many it's hard. It's hard to hear that. It's hard to embrace. It's hard to understand that. Maybe, that's, maybe you're here today and that's hard, it's hard for you to take that in, that God has spoken to us finally through, through the book, the Bible. Let us reason together as we think through what Jesus has to say in our passage today. Now, why is it a hard saying? Another reason why, it's, it's really hard because, not just because of where people are in our culture, but the human condition. There's something about the human condition where we fight against authority. And, 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 and we, we, we don't respect authority, we fight authority. We don't, we don't like authority. We want to be free, we think. And we don't want to submit to authority. And there's no authority in the world like God, who is the ultimate authority. And God has spoken to us in this word. And, we, and we, 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 because we, by nature we fight God, Therefore, we fight his word. We, 
we, we wrestle with it. We don't want to embrace it completely and to abide by it. We are, by nature, rebellious against the king of kings. We're, we're in rebellion. I marvel at human rebellion. I, my granddaughter is about 14 months old, now, almost 15 months, and, and um, <laughs> it's interesting as she now walks, and you know, she, doesn't, she doesn't not only crawl, she walks, and when she walks, she goes places, and you can say, stop, no, don't go there. And if you've had kids before, you were a kid once, by the way, there's this tendency among kids to, to when, your, when your parent says or your grandparent says, stop, you have a choice. Will I obey? Will I test? I don't say disobey. Will I test? <laughs> and and, and, and she's at the point now where she can give this little look. And she's thinking, do I, want to, do I want to cross the boundary or not? Now, if you've not had kids, that's okay, but you were a kid once, and that's what you did. Because that's the human condition. To see boundaries that are given to us for our lovingly, for protection, for, to, to, to take care of us by those who love us, and to say, hmm, what happens if I cross that boundary? That is the human condition. We are, we are rebels against authority. But God, God did not leave us alone. God did not leave us alone. God has given us a word. Hebrews chapter 1 begins, God spoke in the last days in many ways and many times, but in these last days he's now given to us a word from his son. Paraphrase, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, 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 and that's what we're talking about today, that, that God has given us a word, a clear word through Jesus Christ. Let's pause now. Let's look at the, the text for the morning, and it's Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. We have it on the screen. If you grab it in your Bible, let's stand up and hear these four verses. Let's hear the word of the true and living God for us today. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these, the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. God's word. You may be seated. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. That's my title. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Jesus is going to tell us that we need to trust Scripture. We can trust Scripture. We can trust what God has said to us. We're going to look at three things. We can trust the, the great promises that God has for us in his word. We can trust the specific words of Scripture. And then we need, we need to, to, to really relate with this God. We need a perfect righteousness to please this God, the God who's revealed to us in Scripture. First, Jesus reminds us in verse 17 that we can trust the great promises of Scripture. See, Jesus fulfills the great Old Testament promises. Verse 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets, I've, I've come, not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Not to abolish, but to fulfill. The law and the prophets, by the way, shorthand. Sometimes the Bible talks about the law and the prophets, and law, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Sometimes it says the law and the prophets, and sometimes it just says the law. But it's shorthand for the Old Testament. That's, Jesus is talking about the Old Testament here, the, the, the 39 books of the, the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, why does Jesus go here? In, in, in this context of the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached, 
in chapter 4, which sets up the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes as the fulfillment of Isaiah the prophet's words. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to 17, Matthew begins to talk, he quotes Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 to 7, which is a passage that you're probably going to hear when you listen to the Messiah in a couple of months. It's, it's, it's a, 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 unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That passage begins saying that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That, 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 that light has come to Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles. Isaiah chapter, chapter 9. Well, Matthew begins, he sets up the Sermon on the Mount by giving this great prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. Jesus comes to us as a predicted Messiah to bring light to the Jews and light to the Gentiles, light to the whole world. And so he get, here he's gathering massive crowds. And in, in chapter 4, we see him healing. We see him casting out demons. We see him proclaiming, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe this good news. Now, they thought to repent mean change your mind, and it does mean change your mind, but change your mind and therefore change your allegiance and, and, and get on board with him now. And, 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 you know, that's what leaders do. Isn't that what politicians do? They give you the, a word and say, come on, get on board. Get on board with my program. They give you their agenda, their platform. They, they tell you how they're going to take care of you. And Jesus demonstrated. He, he, he healed them. He cast out demons. Took care of their needs, protected them from enemies. Isn't that what politicians do? They go, we're going to protect you. We're going to take care of you. Then they smile at you when they kiss your, kiss your babies. And they, they're real nice politicians. And, and they promise lots of things if you just be loyal to them. That's what they do, right? So the word was out, you see, that Jesus, the rabbi, the itinerant rabbi, who was, who was going to start a kingdom, was around. He, 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 he was in their region. Itinerant preacher. Maybe the Messiah, they didn't know, but he, he was going to make a major address. And so they gathered. They gathered uh, on a mountainside, kind of a natural amphitheater. You ever been to um, Oregon Ridge and, and heard of the BSO? And there's, there's kind of a, a natural, there's, there's a hillside, and people eat your blankets, and you eat your food, and you listen to the music. And if you're not into classical music, have you ever been to Columbia uh, Post Pavilion? I've done that. I've done both of those, by the way. You know, there, there, there's a natural uh, hill where you just sit there with your blanket and your food, and you, and you listen to the music. Well, in the days before electron electronics, those were the gathering places where people would give their, their messages. So there's a mountainside, a natural place where they could hear the one who would speak. And so Jesus does that and as chapter 5 begins. They came, they listened carefully. They wait, waiting for Jesus to lay out his agenda in detail. How will you overcome the hated Romans who are oppressing us in our land? What religious leaders will be part of plan, part of your group. Who, 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 which, which league are you in? What, what is your strategy, Jesus? What, what does your platform look like? So, so Jesus is answering these questions in this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, here's what my messianic kingdom really is going to look like. And so in chapter 5, verses 3 to 12, he begins, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, blessed are the pure in heart. He, he begins with blessing. This is God's gracious supply given to broken people. It's about inward transformation. God graciously gives. It doesn't say blessed will you be if. It's blessed are you. It's grace. The inner, inward transformation. This is kingdom about inward transformation. And then the, in verses 13 to 16, it's because people are transformed on the inside, there's an outward transformation. He says the people who, who are the blessed ones will be salt in a decaying world and light in a dark world. Let your light shine that maybe see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
That's verse 16. So by now, as he preaches this sermon, the assumption of the multitudes, you know, he hasn't said much about the religious leaders. He hasn't said much about Judaism. He's talking about grace and, and, the, and the kingdom and, and his people being a different, a counter-cultural people. They're saying, well, maybe he's anti-Jewish. Maybe he's anti-God's law. Maybe he's against all organized religion. Maybe he's even against the Jewish nation and the Jewish history and, and the Jewish laws and the Jewish traditions. Maybe he's against the temple and the sacrifices. Where is he going with all this? How radical is he? And he said, repent, change our minds, change our minds about everything? About what? So verse 17 comes as a shift, a real shift. And he's basically saying, now, I'm not saying get rid of the law of God. I didn't come to get rid of God's law. I came to fulfill God's law. Now, how does Jesus fulfill God's law? Well, you know, back in Genesis, there was a promise of the seed of the woman who would crush Satan's heel. Jesus fulfilled that? Yes, he does. In Isaiah 7, there was a promise that they would be born of a virgin. We virgin born. Jesus, does Jesus fulfill that? Yes, he does. We know that in Isaiah chapter 9, as I just said, the messianic ruler who would bring light to the Gentiles and the Jews would come. And is Jesus the, the, the fulfillment of that? He sure is. We know that, uh, that for, for Jesus to be the, the sin bearer, he had to live a perfect sinless life. It says in Matthew chapter 4, when he was baptized, John looked at him and said, why are you being baptized? You're not, everybody's confessing your sin, their sins. Why are you confessing your sins? You, you, know, you should be baptizing me. He said, I do this to fulfill all righteousness. He fulfilled righteousness. He fulfilled the perfection, the righteousness that God had for him. That he, he did that, Jesus. And, of course, there was the great prophet that Moses predicted, as we heard the scripture, in Acts chapter 3, which is, a, which is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses, back in, in Deuteronomy, predicted a, that a great prophet would come who would be a leader for the people. And, and Peter in Acts 3 said, that great prophet has come. His name is Jesus. He's prophet, priest, and king. Jesus. And all the nations need now to, to repent before him as times of refreshing from the Lord now are here. Because Jesus is the Lord and King. So Jesus fulfilled that. Then even in, in Romans chapter 8, Jesus fulfills the word by, by, by dwelling within us as we live out the word in our lives as believers. Romans 8, 3 and 4 says in order that, that he comes in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So there's a sense in which even as we walk in the Spirit and fulfill the, law, the Word of God, Jesus is fulfilling the law of God because he's doing it through us. However, I like what James Boyce says. The late James Boyce, 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Jesus came not primarily to live in us or primarily to obey the law by keeping it perfectly, although these things are true. But he came to die. And in dying, to cancel the claims of the law against all who receive him as Savior. Jesus fulfills the law by going to the cross for sinners. The Son of God, the Son of Man comes as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, to give his life as a ransom. Isaiah 53, 7 said, He was wounded for our transgressions, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. 1 Corinthians 15 says, He died for our sins 
according to the Scriptures. Jesus Christ fulfilled Scripture, the ultimate deed with his death for us. So the Old Testament, you see, points to Jesus. You know, in Luke 24, you may know that passage, was Luke, the, the resurrection evening, Jesus is having a conversation on the road to Emmaus, road, to Emmaus with two disciples, and, and, and they don't know that it's the Messiah who's, come, who's been resurrected that very morning. They're, they're despondent, they're discouraged, and, and, and he talks to them, he shares the Bible, he shares the law, the prophets, the Psalms, with them in a great Bible study. Wouldn't you love to have been part of that? I'd be a fly on the wall in that conversation. So then it's late. They say, come on, you stay. He stays, and they break bread, and they notice that the, the hands that are handling the food have nail scars, and their eyes are opened. It's the Lord, and he goes away. He disappears. And it's, didn't our hearts burn as he shared the word with us? Didn't our hearts burn? Christ, the, the scriptures point to Christ. Here's another passage that, that reminds us of that. John chapter 5, verses 39, and then 45 to 47. When Jesus is speaking, he says to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness to me. That's what Jesus said. And then he says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. But if you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. <laughs> the audacity of Jesus to think that the Bible is about him. Is. He's saying, Moses was talking about me. How do we see Jesus using Scripture? How do we see him using Scripture? He taught with an obvious, an obvious divine authority. Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it said, you know, and then in Mark, Mark chapter 1, there's words like this. The people were astonished. They marveled at his authority. And you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say that they, were, they marveled, they were astonished at his cleverness or his humor or his theological prowess or his scholarship. He didn't cite the rabbis like the other teachers did. He just said, the Bible says this and here's what it means. <laughs> he spoke with authority because he only had one source authority, the Holy Scriptures. Think of the many times that Jesus mentioned Old Testament as he talked, Old Testament characters. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Lot and his wife, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, Isaac and, and Jacob and Moses and Elijah and Daniel and the Queen of Sheba and Solomon and Jonah and Isaiah. All these people that Jesus talked about, not as if they were myths, not as if they were, he wasn't citing them as if, well, you know, Lord of the Rings says this. He wasn't talking, he was, he was talking about concrete people. He believed they were concrete historical people that he was talking about. It's clear as he tells those stories. Real people, not myth, not fiction. And in the New Testament, here's a, just a couple, notice how he, used, he, he, how he addresses Scripture, how he used Scripture in the New Testament. Luke chapter 4, if a Bible turn to Luke chapter 4, it's interesting that passage, a lot of things are going on. He goes in the wilderness, he's tempted by the devil, and three times he says to the devil, it is written, it is written. He quotes the Bible at the devil. The devil tried to distort the Bible, he said, no, 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 you got I know the Bible, you, you, you know. Three times he cites the Scripture. Now, now think of it, anything... Jesus said would have been authoritative. 
But as a model for us, he cites Old Testament scripture. Because that's how we that's how we can fight the devil in our life. And then the, then then the temptations are over. And then he goes to Nazareth, his hometown, and preaches. And as a hometown, as a as a hometown boy, he come, he's given a place to read the scripture and have a word. He, he opens the scroll of Isaiah, turns to Isaiah chapter 61, and begins to read. And then he stops right in the middle of a, of a sentence. And he says, he puts the scroll down and says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled before your very eyes. Who is this guy? <laughs> and then he sat down and he preached. And he, and he gave some word. And the words he talked about are, I don't know, he, he talked about Elijah and, and the widow of Zarephath and, and Naaman the Syrian. You can see it all in chapter 4 of Luke. Jesus used the Bible because that was his source of authority. You, all, you probably, might remember the conversation that in John chapter 3 that, that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, comes to him at night. Nick at night. I love that. Nick at night. Kids, kids understand that. So Nick comes to him at night, and Nick says, Jesus, you're all right. We've been talking about you. You're okay. We're going to let you, we're going to give you the permission to continue. <laughs> so Nick comes as an authority over Jesus, and Jesus quickly turns the table. He says, Nick, you don't know what you're talking about. Unless you are born again, born from above, you will never understand. You'll never see the kingdom of God. You'll never know anything about what I'm talking about. Jesus turned the tables very quickly on him. And in the middle of that conversation, Jesus begins to talk about being born of the water, being born of the spirit. And, and then he says to Nick, come on, Nick, don't you know your Bible? You're a teacher of Israel. You don't know these things? Jesus shared common ground with the religious leaders of his day. He didn't go to, to abolish the law. He came to explain to what it really meant. He does that in his conversation with Nicodemus that night. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus, in the discussion about, about divorce and marriage, he cites Genesis chapter 2. Which, which is about marriage. Man should leave his uh, parents and, and, and become one flesh. He, he cites that verse, and then he says, the one who created them from the beginning said. Now, so what Jesus said is that the, one, the creator said to Adam and Eve. Now, when you look back in Genesis, you'll see that it doesn't really say who, who was speaking. It was the narrator. It was Moses who wrote it. So in Jesus' mind, when Moses wrote that, God was saying it. Because to Jesus... Bible is the word of God. Matthew chapter 22, a couple chapters later, they're talking about the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And Jesus, in that discussion, he answered, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He said, there's two things you need to understand. You don't understand the scriptures right, and you don't understand the power of God correctly. You think you understand it, but you don't. See, there's a connection. The, the Word of God, the power of God. The Word of God reminds us of His power. We see it. And it was the power of God that created the Word of God. We'll come back to that in a second. The power of God created this Word. Jesus tells us that we can trust Scripture. We can trust God's Word. They're about Jesus. One of the things we experience as humans in our world is that we see people give promises and break promises. We're in a political season, so we have a lot of that going on, don't we? <laughs> Promising everything. How many, will, how many of those promises uh, will be uh, fulfilled by those who are making those, giving those expectations? People do not keep their word, but God is not like us. God 
keeps his word. He's not a man that he should lie. We can trust the simple promises of Scripture. He promised years ago to come to this world. And in the fullness of time, it tells us in Galatians, God came, came to his son in the fullness of time. He has promises that are still there. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's his promise. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. That's a promise. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, you and your household. That's a promise. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. There you'll be with me always. He said that. That's a promise. God keeps his promises. And Jesus tells us that we can trust his word. The second thing, Jesus reminds us we can trust not just the big general promises, the specific words of Scripture. The specific words. Look, look, look at the text, verse 18. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Iota, dot. These are in the Hebrew, and I, I did take Hebrew in seminary. I can't really read it now, but I know that the dot is, is kind of, it's a vowel, they have vowel pointings. Which you have a little stroke there, a little, a little, little looks like a comma, an apostrophe, and it's a vowel. There's, there's little small marks in the Hebrew text. If you've ever seen Hebrew, it's kind of wild to look at. It doesn't look like English at all. But there's these little things, and Jesus is saying that every one of those is inspired by God. That's what he's saying. The details, the very details. God has overseen that process. It's amazing when you think about it. It's amazing. If you've gotten emails from me, and I guess a lot of you have, you might notice that um, I have a signature on my email. I've had it for a while. And why did I have that? You know, a while ago, you know, when I type, sometimes I type, just like I talk. I, type, I talk fast, sometimes I type fast. Okay? And uh, I would type my name, S-T-A-N, and sometimes an extra A got in there and it would say, S-A-T-A-N. And I didn't want my emails to say, blessing Satan, because I don't want Satan to bless anybody. So I, I, I said, I said one of the, and I, always, I would always catch it, I think. <laughs> I said, I, gotta, I, said I, I said, this email signature, I got to make one of them signatures, because one of these days, I'm going to send, I'm going to send a blessing from Satan to somebody, and it's not going to be happy. So I have an email signature now. But the point is that every little thing counts, every little word, every letter counts, every vowel counts, every iota and dot counts comes to the word of God. It, changes, it can change the meaning. That's what Jesus is getting at. Scripture is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, it says in Psalm 19. It's without error in the original writings. It, it is without error. The word inerrancy, without error, is used as a, as a catch word for that. The inerrant word of God. Now, it was written by humans who were overseen by God. God assured perfection despite the human Writers' imperfections, their skill, their mental ability, their linguistic propensity, their cultural and life experience, their ability to do research, to cut and paste, to look at sources, all that affects the final product of what we have. That's why we have, have different things in Scripture. We have four Gospels, not one Gospel. We have Chronicles and Kings and Samuels. Yeah, there's differences, there's different purposes and all that. But more than those factors, God protected the final product. You err because you don't know the scriptures. You don't understand the power of God. The power of God to give us his word. You've got to understand that. If God is able to create the world, 
to answer prayer, to transform hearts, can't he give us his word? It's perfect. John chapter 21. John chapter 20. And then chapter 21. Chapter 20, 30 to 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then chapter 21, verse 25. Now, there are also many things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. (laughs) John's great. John is saying this. Jesus did a whole lot more than we have written in this book. But what we have is sufficient enough. We have enough in the book for us to make decisions about Jesus. He's saying the the libraries of the world couldn't contain all that could be written about him. But we have enough. We have enough that we can know that the Messiah has come and we need to trust him as our Savior. As I said, Jesus had common ground with the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. John chapter 10, verse 35, in the discussion about about, about a lot of things, he says this. um, um, Well, in in their discussion, it's it's kind of a side comment that he makes. And they're discussing Psalm chapter 82. And Jesus makes a side comment. He says this, you know, Scripture can't be broken. Then he goes on with what he has to say. In fact, I think it's parentheses in your Bibles. (laughs) Scripture can't be broken. Those four words are very powerful. Because the scribes and Pharisees who heard that would agree with that. The disciples would agree with that. The multitudes would agree with that. Scripture can't be broken. Do you believe that? In the New Testament, there's several, there's not a proof test, but some key ones are, are like in John 16. It gives us, Jesus on the upper room, he gave the, 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 uh, the apostles um, the authority to write down the things that he did, the words that he said, for us, and said that the Holy Spirit will assist you in that process. John chapter 16, review that. John chapter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says that the writers of the Old Testament were not giving their personal opinions, their personal interpretations. They were being carried along, led by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Later in 2 Peter chapter 3, towards the end, Peter says something that I love. He says, he's writing about the things that Paul wrote. Paul, we've been looking at Galatians. Paul says some things that Peter, Peter and Paul had this little thing going on sometimes. And, and Paul says, Peter says about the writings of Paul, he says that they have equal authority with the, quote, other scriptures. Peter, who had sometimes tensions with Paul about doctrine, said he affirmed Paul as an apostle and told his people, read Paul, study Paul, wrestle with what Paul has said. Because his, his writings are as authoritative as the other scriptures. Talking about the Old Testament, the other books that, that were becoming confirmed as a canon of scripture, the books were being confirmed. You know what I like about that? Think of it. Peter, colleague of Jesus. Some would say the first apostle. I wouldn't say that, but the, the first pope. He, the, the, the super apostle, Peter. Wrestle with some things in scripture. Have you ever wrestled with some things in scripture? Wrestle with scripture. That's okay. But, but don't place yourself above Scripture. Submit to Scripture. It's God's Word. It's God's Word. There's implications here, strong implications. It's a matter of heart, not a matter of intellect. If Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I will submit to His view of Scripture. 
If he's really my Lord, I will submit to his view of the Word of God. Uh, Kevin DeYoung says, um, <clears throat> Submission to Scripture is submission to God. Rebellion against Scripture is rebellion against God. Those are strong words. Simple words, but strong words. You know, there, there are scholars from the 19th century, German scholars, most of them, who, who came up with a lot of ideas about the Bible. Said, you know, Moses didn't write all those books. Uh, Isaiah, there's a couple of Isaiahs. You know, who wrote Isaiah? Who wrote all the letters? You know, all these theological, intellectual concerns about the Bible, the nature of the Bible, sort of taking the authority of the Bible away from people. And, uh, and some of those arguments continue to endure. I love what, what uh, De Young says about that. He says, do we really believe that 19th century German scholars knew more about ancient Jewish history than Jesus did? Let's trust Jesus. Let's trust Jesus, who said Moses, the law, and not those who come later who are saying that Moses didn't write it. If you're a disciple of Christ, of Christ, if you claim to know him, then his view of Scripture needs to be your view of Scripture. Now, Satan doesn't like this. In the garden, he questioned Adam and Eve. Did God really say don't eat? He questioned the word of God. He questioned what God had communicated. And then in the wilderness, again, he came to the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. He took scripture out of context. If you're really the son of God, do this. Jump from the, the pinnacle of the temple. Satan distorts God's word. Satan tries to take away the authority of God's word. Satan is a hater. He hates God. He hates Jesus. He hates us. He hates the word of God. He wants to keep us from believing that we might have the joy and the blessing that only comes from God. And Satan is still very much alive today. These misunderstandings are not new, though. In church history, there was a, in the, first, the second century, there was a dude named Marcion. He was a, one of the first century leaders who wrestled with the biblical scriptures and decided that all 66 books were not divine. And, and so he, he thought that the Old Testament God was different than the New Testament God. Some very interesting things that he believed. <clears throat> many, many followed him, Marcion. Later in history, you may be familiar in your American history of a guy named Thomas Jefferson, the Jeffersonian Bible, who, who as a deist, thought that Christianity was a, was a good thing for people to believe in, but he had, there were things in the Bible he didn't like, so he had the Jeffersonian Bible where he ripped all, he kind of cut and paste. This is, he scratched it. No, that's not, that doesn't sound right. So what, what is that, what's that all about? That is placing yourself as an authority over the Scripture. That's what that's doing, and that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And Jesus is talking in our text here about those who would relax the law, relax the word, saying that it's not all divine, that it's not all to be uh, for us, that it's not binding in any way for us. So, so don't worry about this part of it or that part of it. Very dangerous, very dangerous. Uh, a researcher, George Barna, a Christian researcher, a year ago, uh, did research on the millennial generation, those born between 1984 and 2000. This is a research along with InterVarsity and American Bible Society. They discovered that 96% of millennial kids are classified, who classified, them as, uh, classified themselves as practicing Christians, they say the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life. That's good. I wish it was 100%, but 96%, okay, I'll, I'll take that. But, but if you dig deeper, you see some disturbing things. Only 71% of those who say they're practicing Christians, 71% say that they believe that there's absolute truth. Only 7 out of 10? You believe the Bible, but you don't believe it's absolute. What, do you, what, what is it you're believing? 
And then when they were asked, uh, where, where do you go for absolute truth? Only 39% said they go to Scripture. And second of, was 16% who said they go to the church. And then 40% go to their parents. Where, where are we? There, there, there's, there's brewing, maybe we're here, there's a crisis of faith that, that, that's happening. Not just in the world, but in the church. In that same um, research, the of those who would not classify them as, themselves as believers, non-Christian millennials, uh, they had some interesting things about the Bible. So they believe that the, the Bible is the teaching of men that contains stories and advice. They believe the Bible is, merely, is only useful for moral teachings, that the Bible is an outdated book with no relevance for today, that the Bible is a dangerous book of religious dogma used for centuries to oppress people, there's a crisis that's brewing. There's a crisis that might be here. Because the question is, do we still believe in this 20th century, that, that God has spoken, that God has spoken here even in the 21st century? Like Marcion, like Jefferson, there are still people who think the Bible is myth, fiction, fable, not all from God. This Bible can be trusted. Our problem is not with the book. The problem is with us. Jesus tells us we can trust Scripture, every dot, every iota. Lastly, Jesus reminds us that we need a greater righteousness if we want to please the God that we see in Scripture. Verses 19 and 20. Verse 19, uh, what's Jesus saying here? Your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, there, there's a blessing in, uh, there in verse 19 um, for those who would teach the law, but a warning for those who would relax the law. A blessing for those who would teach and do. And a warning for those who would relax it. We, we need to learn to read God's word, to really read it and take it in. There, there's a tendency to avoid scripture when it comes to, to understanding what it means to, to know God and grow in, in, in our faith. You can't grow without a water. A fruit, a plant can't grow without water. And scripture is called the water of the word, Ephesians chapter 5. The word is like water, and it feeds us, and we grow. Our minds need to be transformed, need to be renewed. Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you, you may know what the will of God is. It's good, perfect, and acceptable. Are we letting Scripture change our hearts and minds? Are we letting Scripture do that? Are we submitting to it that it might help us to grow closer to God? Several years ago, there was a movement called the WWJD movement. What would Jesus do? It was a movement to try to, it was a, a movement of discipleship and, and say, how can we become stronger in our faith? And um, maybe, you, maybe you embrace that as a, as a good uh, sense of what discipleship is all about. I have a lot of problems with it. Um, it's, it's helpful in one sense, but some real problems. Because it's... it's I call it, it's kind of a lazy man's means of discipleship. It's, it's, it's a lazy man's means of, of, of understanding discipleship. Um, we have a general sense of what Jesus is all about. He was loving. He went around helping people. And uh, he taught people some good things. And so we should just try to do that as we interact with people. As we try to interact with people and live our life, we should say, what would Jesus do? That's only somewhat helpful for me. I don't know about you. Because... I'm not Jesus, and neither are you. If, if, when I go to a hospital, I want to be a blessing to people. And if Jesus was in a hospital, 
He would totally bless them. In fact, he'd clean out all the beds. Because he's Jesus. But I ain't. If Jesus was at a funeral, people are mourning and people are saying, oh, they're weeping because their loved one's gone. I, I, I want to be a blessing to people at a funeral. Jesus would do more than be a blessing. He would weep with them, and then he would raise them from the dead. That's what Jesus would do. And even if I'm at a wedding reception and, 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 and the liquor's getting low, what am I going to do? Go to the store? I don't know. What would Jesus do? We know what Jesus would do. Mary, do what I say. What would Jesus do is very limited. The, script, the, 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 the issue for us is not what would Jesus do, what does Scripture say about this situation? That's what it means to walk with God in, in these days. That's what discipleship is all about. What does God's Word say? How do we process this? How do we walk in this? And we don't do that, we don't do that alone. We do that with the help of others in the body of Christ. As we, hear the, as we study ourselves, as we're in Bible study, as we interact with the Word, as we hear the Word of God proclaimed, as we read books of those uh, in our generation and before who have walked with God, we begin to learn what it means to be a growing disciple of Jesus Christ. So if you've got your WWJD bracelet on, please hide it or something. I don't know. But that's a frustration. Discipleship is asking, what do the Scriptures teach? Kevin DeYoung... <clears throat> And verses, verse 20 then is applied, the rest of the passage, the rest of the chapter, 21 to 48. Je Jesus begins to, to apply. Kevin DeYoung says, uh, Jesus, he corrects false tradition, false interpretation. He never denies biblical authority. See, the rest of the passage, he says, you've heard it said this, but here's what I say. You've heard it said this, but here's what I say. So Jesus is not calling us to ignore the law of God or to put aside the law of God. He wants people to, go deep, to joyfully go deeper, to look beyond the externals to what heart obedience is all about. So he says, go the extra mile. Love your enemy. Don't just uh, not murder your friend. Love your friend. Don't, th 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 again, we need Jesus for this stuff. And then in ver verse 19, he, 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 again, he addressed the, 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 the sober task of communicating Scripture accurately. And, and those who would relax or distort feeding people, poisoning what they don't need, what isn't true. There's a responsibility of those who teach and preach. We must not be guilty of relaxing the commandments or overstepping the commandments. We must speak, preach the word of God and teach the word of God accurately. Now, how do we follow Jesus? He's absent. I mean, when Peter followed Jesus, he walked behind Jesus. We don't do that. Jesus is absent. He's in heaven, but he comes to us through his word. First John says, we love him because he first loved us. That's grace. John 15 says, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Says, That's obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. And John 17 is he prays to his father. He says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It's the word of God that will sanctify us or clean us up and help us to walk in righteousness. Verse 20, there's something startling here for the hearers. I don't, want, I don't want to miss this. Something startling. Because you see, the scribes and Pharisees were seen as the ultimate. They were the ultimate. They were the most holy people in town. And so the people were thinking, well, if the scribes and Pharisees aren't good enough, what, what, woe is us. What are we going to do? If they can't make it, no one can make it. 
And that's a good place to be. Because Jesus wants them to see that there's a greater righteousness, there's an incredible greater righteousness that they need. I mean, the whole passage ends, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I mean, you can't get beyond perfection. There's a high call here. Jesus is preaching law so they can understand their brokenness. In fact, back in the Beatitude in chapter 5, verse 6, he had said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will fill themselves. No, because they shall be filled. That's it. You see? The, the, the filling, the righteousness that we need comes from outside of us. It comes from God when we know we need that righteousness. Have you come to the place in your life where you say, I need the word of God. I need to know the word. I need to study the word of God. I need to, I need to the, the Bible is my authority. I'm going to base my life on it. I'm going to follow it. I'm going to walk in it. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to study it. I remember in a varsity conference, I was a freshman, I think. Maybe, saw, maybe my freshman year. Um, College Park, heard a great talk about making Christ the center of your life and building your life on him. And I, that, I just, they said, go, 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 spend time with God. So we spent time with God. And that changed my life because I said, Lord, I really need to, this is something that I need to do. I need to let Scripture frame my entire life. I made a commitment to do that. And, Lord, I'm going to spend time with you every day. Have I done that? No. I've tried. I've been pretty good at it. But have I done it every day? No. But it's changed my life dramatically, drastically, forever. Time with God. Time in his word. Sometimes I'm like Peter, and I'm saying, okay, what does that mean? That's okay. I'm just, and we need to do that to submit ourselves to the Word of God because God has spoken to us. Let me close with a, with a story. Um, four blind men and an elephant. This is in honor of Brother Tony, a great solo we heard. Four blind men, they, they, were, they were brought to a sleeping elephant, and they each touched a part of the elephant. Where's our elephant? There we are. Each of them touched a part of the elephant. They didn't know it was an elephant. He said, touch this and say, what is this that you're touching? One of them touched the legs. He said, oh, you know, that, that feels like a tree trunk. The other one, another one, he touched the, the, the tail. It feels like a broomstick. Another one touched the nose. That feels like a fireman's hose that I've heard about. The other one touched the, the husk. The, 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 the tusk. Husk. Tusk. <laughs> horn. And, and, and said, that feels like a ram's horn. And, you know, they, they all, from their own perspectives, thought that they understood what they were touching. Many people think that that's what the world of religions is like. That each of us experiences what we experience from our own perspective, and we understand what we understand from our own perspective, and, 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 and from our limited perspective, we live life as if that's what it is. We don't understand that our faith isn't the whole story that there's another side to the story. And so people would say, that's why we need to affirm what others believe. We need to understand that there's truth in other religions, and we shouldn't be so dogmatic about what we believe. You know, here's the problem. There's some truth there, but here's the problem. What if, what if the elephant saw someone touching his leg and saying, this is a tree trunk, the elephant says, no, I'm an elephant. What if he said, heard the person say, this is a ram's horn, and the elephant could say, no, I, that, 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 you, you only got a piece of it. This is an elephant. The Christian faith is radical in that it says that 
the elephant has spoken. The elephant has spoken. God has given us a word from heaven, a word in his son, and a word in his book. His son, human and yet divine. The book, written by humans, and yet divine. The word. We have the word. The elephant has spoken. Have you do, do, are you submitting yourself to the word of God? Jesus, the word of God, and his word, his written word. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, to submit to, to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> well, like, like the followers of Jesus of old, we submit to the word of God. I pray that would be our heart, Lord. As you speak through your word, we would know that that is the, the true living God who's given us the truths of heaven. May we submit to it and may we love others as you call us to love others. May we be a, a, a people who are light and salt in a world that needs to understand these things. And may we continue each day grow in our understanding of it that we may be disciples indeed. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you.